3: Welcome in. Different night, but we didn't want to not provide the content you guys are always looking to hear, wanting to hear, hoping to hear. At least we hope so. It's great to be with you. Good evening, everybody. I'm Jeff Cameron. There's the star of the show, though, Sean Callahan. He is on your screen right now, and we're talking Nebraska. I don't, do you, you want to talk Nebraska tonight? Should we take a left turn and look big picture college football? I tease, I tease, but this is going to be a toughie with what's just happening against Minnesota and what lies in wait with Michigan. Good evening, Sean. How
4: are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Yeah, and uh appreciate uh, reworking things. We had a basketball game last night. I know Florida State, where you're at, had one too, um, kind of in that dual hoops football stage here for the next couple of weeks. I gotta tell you, Jeff, you got a lot of fans in Nebraska. I've had a number of people approach oh, me and say, who is that host on that show with you and Simple and Rose? I like that guy. He does a great job. So uh thank you always, Jeff, for what you bring to the show each week.
3: Oh, Sean, that's too nice. And by the way, to all the people who said that, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, listen, I, I, I take it very seriously. I love working with you guys. Nebraska fans are awesome anyhow. I love having extra teams to, to watch every day. It's really kind of broadened my horizon some. So I'm in this with you guys. I want to see Nebraska get back. I want to carry on this thing and let's get it turned around. Unfortunately, let's start with what happened before and then move ahead here, Sean. It It didn't happen. I thought, I watched this game, by the way, I really thought with Anthony Grant getting off to the start that he did, Sean. And I understand there in Lincoln, it's kind of a story of the week so far that not sticking with that running game. What do starts, start? 10 carries, 80 yards. It's a 10 to nothing game. Nebraska looks good. And the next thing you know, kind of go away from the run. They get worn down a little bit and, and Minnesota comes back to win. How has that storyline played out this week?
4: Yeah, it was tough because Nebraska played arguably their best half of the season, considering the context. No Casey Thompson. And they engineered, you know, two scoring drives to start the game. Minnesota only had four possessions in the first half. They punted all four times. Um, So you add all that together. I mean, it was it was a great half, but for whatever reason, they they just kind of got in a a hole. And we saw seven empty possessions in a row uh, by this offense. Five of those seven were three and outs. One was an interception. The other was a six play, uh, then resulted in a punt. And you know, it's two weeks in a row we've seen this from Mark Whipple's offense. We saw it against Illinois. thirty, Their final 30 plays only amounted for 36 yards against the Illini. Uh, earlier this year against Oklahoma, we saw 12 consecutive scoreless empty possessions in that loss to the Sooners um, way back when Mickey Joseph's first game. So it's either kind of boom or bust. We've seen the good of Mark Whipple um, against Purdue, but even then that was kind of uneasy, kind of living on the on the deep ball and we've seen the bad now the last two weeks um, of just not really sticking to the plan. It felt like Nebraska had a good handle on how you beat Minnesota. And then they got off that plan and it just, whatever they were trying to do with Chuba Purdy, it just wasn't working for them.
3: I also noted this week, I was reading on Husker online. Um, it's never good to have a, a co-captain, a captain of any kind and Caleb Tanner say what he said about uh, the second half. Uh, Sean, I, I got to ask you, you have the insight here. Uh, How has that been responded to? Because, you know, it doesn't speak highly if he's, first of all, that he's talking that way into the press. But secondly, you know, that's calling into question the coaching and the adjustments at halftime.
4: Yeah, they, that they let up. Are you talking about when he said they let up, essentially? Yeah,
3: I think the quote – I'm sorry, Sean. The quote was there, we got too comfortable. If you get too comfortable, well, we can't get too comfortable. We have to come out in the second half, and we have to play harder than we did in the first half is his quote. I, I found that curious.
4: Yeah, and, and you know, the coaches addressed that, and and they said Caleb's an emotional guy, a passionate guy, um, and he. I don't think his intention was to throw anyone under the bus with it, but obviously it came out that way. and um it is what it is at this point. I mean, Nebraska's defense played well, and yeah. I think it was frustrating to a lot of those guys. I'm sure Bill Bush, the defensive coordinator, was as frustrated as anyone because he dialed up a great plan that just had Minnesota confused. Uh, but I'll tell you what changed that game, the final play of the half. Uh, Ty Robinson sacks Tanner Morgan with a brutal hit, knocks him out of the game. They go to their backup quarterback. Minnesota's offense came to life. Um, when Tanner Morgan came out of that game you almost wish that Morgan would have stayed in because I think Nebraska is in pretty good shape at that point
3: it's almost like you've got a pitcher on the ropes and then somebody hits a three-run home or enforces the manager's hand on the opposing team and the next guy comes in and you can't hit him you know you see things like this all the time well so this game plays out with a loss and I guess that gets us to the bigger picture it's going to be this way the rest of the year Sean, I don't like to assume results in games but Nebraska is a massive underdog against Michigan and that would surely mean at this point that I think a lot of fans are probably looking beyond Mickey Joseph am I wrong about that or does it now look like obviously with that loss at home to Minnesota what looks to be possibly a pending loss to Michigan that it would be hard for him to win this job
4: yeah it's really hard to know what Trevor Alberts is really thinking right now but Mickey Joe, it felt like Mickey Joseph had a nice window here. These two home games, Illinois, Minnesota. And if he were able to get it done, he could have built a lot of momentum. But now you're staring at three and nine again. Uh, Obviously, this weekend, four touchdowns spread. Um, Wisconsin and Iowa are now playing good football. Um, They'll they'll probably both be favored over the Huskers um, to close the year out. Um, So, yeah, you're looking at three and nine maybe again which is the worst back-to-back stretch we've ever seen at Nebraska. And it just seems like at this point, you know, Trev's going to say, look, you know, maybe clean break. I think the bigger question is, you know, would Mickey be a part of this coaching staff with a new coach? And and that will ultimately be up to the new coach someday uh, for any of these guys, like if he keeps any of these assistant coaches moving forward.
3: And the road doesn't get easier. I, I, I swear yeah. every week, John, when we have a conversation – It's the same conversation. I don't mean about wins and losses, but hey, look who's on the other side playing running back. I don't know. It's one of the nation's best. And next week, guess who it is? One of the nation's best. It's every week. It's like the... It's like the Nebraska defense and the Nebraska program can't catch a break. And listen, nobody's saying, "Hey, woe is us." I know Nebraska players wouldn't say that, coaches wouldn't say it, fans don't want to hear that nonsense. I understand that, but as an observer from afar watching this Nebraska program, it seems like I check my box and go, "Oh, great." Next week they get Blake Corum. That'll that'll go well. I mean, it just it's tough every week.
4: Yeah, every week, and then next week it's Braylon Allen from Wisconsin. <laughs> um, but you, you you look at Michigan and where they're at right now. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh had a great schedule to kind of figure out his quarterback situation early. I mean, they, they might have had the easiest non-conference slate in the country um, with Hawaii on there and Colorado State and I believe UConn. I mean, you, 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 with that type of stretch, they really were allowed to figure out that quarterback situation to go with McCarthy over last year's starter McNamara. And McCarthy is clearly, you know, a high-level r- recruit, high-level player. He's got two elite running backs led by Corum, who's going to be all Big Ten. Um, so, yeah, they've got a lot of things going for them. And, you know, Michigan was good last year, and you could make the case they're playing better right now. They have Illinois after Nebraska, which will be a huge game, and then obviously the big game against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the Big Ten West, I'll tell you, Illinois we thought was a lock to win this thing, but losing to Michigan State, now they have Purdue, who's pretty desperate right now to get a win, Then they're going to have Michigan the next week. Illinois could play themselves out of the West at this point um, based on just that one loss this past week against Michigan State.
3: Well, I have to circle back to this, and it's never a pleasant subject, but, you know, I have to ask you about it. You guys are on top of it, Husker Online. Uh, Starting safety and tackling machine, Miles Farmer, plays a ton of snaps, snaps arrested for and charged with DUI on Saturday night. Obviously, he'll be suspended for this game. Uh, Is there any more you can tell us at this point?
4: Yeah, tough deal. happened over the weekend after the game, obviously. And, um, you know, Mickey Joseph was pretty cut and dry. He said, look, you know, it's a very unfortunate thing. It's a life-learning lesson. It's a mistake. Um, Miles Farmer had 14 tackles in the Minnesota game. Um, He had played almost 700 defensive snaps on the year in nine games. So he was – leading the Huskers in total snaps played on defense. Um, and, you know, one of the real veterans on that back end, I mean, it was Miles Farmer and Quentin Newsom were the two starters that had the experience that played a lot of ball. Um, so now you're, you're looking at maybe Phelan Sanford um, Singleton, who's a junior college transfer. You know, they've got a couple of options that they can put back there at safety. Um, but that's a tough blow, no doubt to lose Miles Farmer, and, you know, it will be a one-game deal, so they will get him back for Wisconsin. Um, but it doesn't help this week we're playing out in Michigan.
3: And then let's get to the quarterback, and we'll welcome in Sip here in just a second. Um, at this point, uh, i got to ask about the relative health of all the quarterbacks based on what I understand, and then, of course, you can provide more insight Uh is is it Chubba Purdy, Purdy? Are they moving forward? Uh, I asked you earlier, we were kind of talking off the air and a little bit on air. I, I addressed this, but I didn't ask you Logan Smothers, if it, your opinion on who starts.
4: Yeah. I, I, I don't think we'll see Casey, um, from what Mickey said today, I asked Mickey and he's like, yeah, you know, he's probably not going to play, um, but we'll see what tomorrow brings. I, I think a lot of it will depend on Logan in the field. They get in practice, but, if Logan has a good week and they feel like he's ready, they'll give Logan Smothers the start. Now, the other interesting dynamic is, and this is the second year in a row this has happened. Um, he's never used that four-game redshirt. He's last year, I believe, he played in like five and or six, whatever it was. And he's this will be his fifth game this year. And you know, Logan's not the kind of kid, though. I think that's worried about preserving a redshirt. If they give him an opportunity to start, he'll take it. Um, but yeah, Chubba really struggled. And Nebraska fans are intelligent football fans. They understand the game, and they're smart enough to see a guy struggling. And I, I think a lot of fans are like, look, give give Logan a chance. He, he at least is going to give us our best opportunity to move this offense. Um, yeah, maybe he can't make some of those NFL-level throws, but Chubba Purdy wasn't making them either last week.
3: Yeah, I watched the game and, and I got to tell you, Sean, I completely agree with that. I think if I were, you know, die hard here and watching very closely, pretty looked like a kid who was kind of confused pre-snap, not real sure where to go with the football, uh, indecision. You could understand why some fans would want to look uh, another.
4: Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with the our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us.
3: Let's welcome in Sip. I see him waiting there in the green room. Sip, good evening as always. Thanks so much. It's good to be with you, buddy.
2: Yeah, it's good to be with you. I know it's a little dark here. It's like we're having rolling blackouts in Lincoln. are <laughs> uh, doing a, I mean, we we I moved around some lamps because we're doing some uh, redesign. I just couldn't get it any lighter.
3: It's all right. I like it. It's a quaint little fireside chat amongst friends. Yes, that's lovely quaint. Lovely.
2: <laughs> yes, quaint.
3: Well, let's let you weigh in on all that is Nebraska football right now. A four-touchdown-plus underdog uh, against Michigan without one of your leading tacklers in the form of Miles Farmer, who obviously Sean and I were just talking about is suspended after the DUI charge. Questions at running back – I mean, excuse me, at quarterback. Uh, This is um, tough times. Well, yeah, Jeff and Sean – they're going
2: into the thresher in Ann Arbor. I mean, it's it's going to be really, it'll be tough. You know, you don't want to over, you don't want to overstate it. And somehow, I don't know if we can't overstate how difficult this is going to be. Michigan will be revved up, I imagine, because they're nine and zero and they're they're steamrolling towards the game. And I think they're going to have a great shot to beat Ohio State again and win the Big Ten again. Um, they have that kind of team and they're good where nebraska's vulnerable for instance they got a big ornery offensive line and a very good you know blake quorum mickey talked about blake Corum today um is a very good running back runs violently but he um he sees holes really well and he bursts he has a great burst so it's yeah it's a tough tough situation for nebraska i like what mickey said today though i mean you you got to you just got to kind of look at it pragmatically. You've got to go play for 60 minutes and see what happens.
4: Hey, Sip, what kind of grip right now would you say Mark Whipple has on this offense? And has that, in your opinion, do you think that that's caused some debate behind the scenes? And I probably downplayed that a little bit, but you know, it's been stressful watching this unit play. And I'm sure there's a lot of opinions behind the scenes on how and what they should be doing. Yeah,
2: Sean, Mickey addressed it today the news conference Mickey said that he wants Nebraska to stick with you know to be happy with three yards a shot three yards a carry three yards per rush three or four yards per rush be patient be happy with that that's Big Ten football that gets you to third and four third and three um and he got the he he was asked I mean how does that how is that with Whipple have you had to talk to Whipple about that, Mark Whipple, the play caller, and Mickey said, "Absolutely." And it was a good follow-up question by somebody. They said, "Well, how'd that go?" And and Mickey said, "We'll just keep that between me and Whipple." <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think there's any doubt. Sean, you hear things behind the scenes. I hear things behind the scenes. Yeah, there has been. There's been tension for weeks, and uh, it's, you know, Mickey. It seems like Mickey's kind of putting his foot down though, and and wanting a little bit. Whipple to lean a little bit harder on the run game.
4: You wrote this today. Um, You know, we obviously all praise the Whipple hire because on the surface, it looked great. I mean, he just sent Kenny Pickett to the Heisman Trophy. They won the ACC. The next day, Scott Frost met him in his living room in, in Arizona to interview him and talk to him about the Nebraska job. And mm-hmm. two days later, he's in Lincoln. I mean, we didn't mm-hmm. really have much time to think about Mark Whipple, but you could look at all those things. You're like, this is a pretty good hire. Uh, but yeah. is it research well researched. you think now when you think back to it all that some of these things that we're seeing now, could you have maybe projected some of these issues?
2: Well, there's a couple issues, Sean and Jeff. Whipple was hired to work with Frost. And to, and remember, the, the grand plan was to combine Whipple's offense with Frost. And what would that look like? I don't know. We didn't get really – we really didn't get a chance to see – it in full bloom. So that's out the window. Now I will tell you this, Sean, all along, I wondered a little bit about, about Whipple and people would ask you, ask me about Whipple. Is he going to run the ball? Is he just going to, is he just going to come here and throw it around? Because we thought that in the winter and then Pat Narduzzi in a, in a podcast, Pat Narduzzi the the Pittsburgh Panther head coach mm-hmm. he said that in a very very like I like let his guard down in a podcast which sometimes happens um like I do here sometimes and and they uh they he said that Whipple is stubborn and he doesn't like to run. Oh yeah, I got everybody's attention, but here's was my line of thinking, Sean and Jeff. I just thought, okay, yeah, he he tried his track record is he throws it around. He's a 50-50 guy, um, but but he will adapt because he's a smart football guy. And he, you know, when he was in the NFL where you have to run, um, but he didn't. He, it, 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 Frankly, he's disappointed me that way.
3: Well, and, and and it's one of those things too, uh, Sip, when, you, when you've got a, a guy that's a Heisman candidate in a – uh Bolitnikoff award winner on the outside. I mean you, you should throw it around the lot a little bit. You got a first round quarterback and a first round wide receiver, but that is not the situation in Nebraska.
2: <laughs> they don't have a first round quarterback.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> I, I, I um now here's yeah you're right. And it's interesting because Whipple did a he did this presentation to the high school coaches association here in February or is the winter months. And I saw it. And it was it was fascinating. But the most impressive thing was the variety of ways he could get the ball to Jordan Addison. Um, It was like thirty five different ways. And he whipped through them, you know, the plays, the routes, the different ways he could do it. And it was a seminar on how to get the ball to your best guy. But it was passing. I mean, it was it was a passing seminar and it was extremely impressive. But again, that's not really what the Big Ten West demands, especially as we get into this type of weather.
4: Sip, was that Purdue game? I mean, obviously it was a, an electric night for Trey Palmer, but was that almost a bad thing to have a game like that where it made it feel like, oh, we can do this every game now?
2: Uh yeah. I mean, you could you could read it that way, Sean. I mean, they 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 really took advantage of Purdue's vulnerability, um, which is covering the deep ball. They're 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 depleted, but Purdue has been depleted into secondary really since the spring. And Nebraska has a guy that could that could really hurt you that way and, and, and and expose that vulnerability. Illinois doesn't have that vulnerability. Um, You know, they, they didn't see that vulnerability last week. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it probably wasn't the, I don't know, Sean. I mean, if they win that game, it would have been good. Um, But I I see where you're going with that.
3: I asked uh, Sean this, uh, Sep, I'll ask you, Uh, Has the ship sailed for Mickey Joseph to be the next head coach at Nebraska? Has
2: the ship sailed, Jeff? I I would not rule it out. I wouldn't rule him out. I mean, I don't know what Sean's told you. Sean has a lot of good inside information. I know, Jeff, that as of Friday, as of Friday, no decision had been made on on what head coach they're going to hire, which means that Mickey's still in it. I mean, Mickey today – talked about like the future he talked about how the offense has to evolve and you know he talked like it was he was going to be the one he, he, dictating the evolution so it was sort of interesting i a hey jeff bottom line i'm not ruling him out i won't do that mm-hmm. um but right now it'd be all it'd be a it'd be a tough sell so, for but- a lot of people for a lot of people for some there's a mickey camp here there's a lot of people that are pro mickey it's a tough sell though right now
4: I know we talked a lot about it late last week, but now we're a few days removed. But, I mean, what were your thoughts of Thursday and, and just the right. rumor monster and, and kind of all the things that swept through Husker Nation, you know, that kind of clouded this whole thing? We were thinking, like, oh, is it you know, just all the different things we heard on Thursday? It was crazy.
2: Well, first of all, Sean, I'd say we were kind of due. It'd been pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And honestly, just to be clear for our list for our listeners and people watching. I, my whole thing was that uh, I was driven by the notion because, because of what we're hearing, is that I wanted to quell any thoughts that they were going to name the head coach that day, Thursday or Friday, because that was out there. And that was my immediate concern that, that man, are they going to, are we, are we, do we need to be ready for this? Well, by noon, we had a pretty good, we had a, we had an idea, not a pretty good idea. We had a very good idea. That wasn't happening. Thursday, there was not going to be an announcement Thursday of any sort. Now, from there, I don't know what to make of – I mean, I don't know what to make of what people are saying. There's They're saying different things, for one thing, that maybe someone – there was like a – they gained a clear understanding of who they want and have an agreement in place. I'm not convinced of that. I don't, think, I don't think that's the case based on what I heard on Friday. Um, but, yeah, I, Sean, I wouldn't – I don't know. It was, it was sort of disappointing in a way. But, but on the other hand, it was also sort of predictable that we'd get something like that at some point.
4: One follow-up on that, too. The Board of Regents, um, they're elected officials. They represent all the different parts of the state to oversee the University of Nebraska, Omaha, Lincoln, Kearney, and the Med Center. What is their role in this process? Because I think there's a misconception out there that they have a say in, in you know, the, the actual process um, with Trev Alberts with what's going on right now. The Regents
2: basically are at the, the very end of the process and approve the contract. Um, that, that, that's basically their role. They don't have a big role in this in, determination, in determining the next head coach. The Regents do not have that role. It's Trev Albert, the AD, who's making this decision largely on his own with, you know, with some help and guidance, um, probably from a few very close peers. Doug Wald, the CFO. I get that name right, Sean? Doug E. Wald, um, CFO. Um, beyond that, maybe a, a booster friend from Omaha. Um, and, and, you know, he might get some leadership help from Ted Carter, the, the system president. I don't think uh, – there's not a wide net there, though. Now, I will say this. Trev's made a ton of calls, as you know. Um, he's called Dabo Sweeney. He's called Nick Saban. He's called a bunch of guy, uh, people. But um, as far as who's determining this coach, it's Trev. It's Trev
3: Alberts. Sean, I think we should bring in Michael Spath. I see him there. Sip, good evening. It's been good. Hey, thanks for dropping in. Hey, thanks
2: for having me, guys. Have a good, have a great
3: night. Yeah, have a short sure but night. sweet. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to a SIP again next.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business.
5: Sports is and not as simple you know, my, as bringing
1: a
2: bunch of big names together.
1: I
0: didn't want to do another stomp you out speech.
1: It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the
2: deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on
0: Spotify.
3: This week, Michael Spath joins us now. Good evening, Michael. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, Jeff. Uh, doing very well. I just was a little disappointed because my I couldn't get my mic to pick up. So instead I gotta put on like this uh, headset. I feel like I'm a a teleconferencer right now. So
4: you're <laughs> working you remote you from year. the side now, aren't you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I have I have quite a few gigs these days. So uh you know sports media changed dramatically when COVID happened and um and some of us uh, some of us just changed with it. So we're doing a lot of different things these days.
4: Well, Michael's been a longtime um, expert, um, former writer for Michigan, um, talk show host, analyst for a number of different radio stations. Wanted to bring Michael on. He's been a longtime friend of mine for almost 20 years now. Um, and wanted to get your thoughts just kind of on this game, on this week. Um, you, you watched Michigan, obviously, very closely last year, watching right now. What is the biggest difference, in your opinion, Michael, with this Michigan team compared to last year?
0: Uh, you know, it, early on in the season, the, the questions were a lot about replacing Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, the defensive ends. But I've got to say that they've done a really good job of doing that. Um, Mike Morris has emerged as a, a legit uh pass rushing threat. Um, you know, on every play, uh, I just saw recently he's, he's a, a fringe first round pick, according to Mel Kuyper. Um, he leads the team with seven sacks on the season, so it was supposed to be that. The biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team is is simply the quarterback position. Um, the quarterback last year was uh, was Cade McNamara, a limited physical talent uh, that got the most out of his ability, but was truly a game manager. Um, and they had an overpowering running game that uh, really came to fruition against Ohio State um, in their you know their first victory since 2011 against the Buckeyes. This year they have a much different talent in in their quarterback position JJ McCarthy was a, either a five star or a very high four star depending on the the service that you used uh he was a you know he he's got all of the physical skills to be an NFL first rounder but the crazy thing is guys is that this Michigan coaching staff has turned him into another game manager and they've done they've done it largely because maybe a little bit of his youth but also because they once again have a dominant running game it's the best running game in the Big 10 um, right now, they've got a a one thousand actually eleven hundred yard back in Blake Corum. So when you guys when you, when you look at it, there's not a huge difference between last year's team and this year's team. They're they're almost carbon copies. Different quarterbacks, but same same style of play. Different running back than Hassan Haskins a year ago, but same style of play. They're winning very much the same way that they won in 2021.
3: Michael, would you say that they're even more efficient running the ball, though? They they look even more dominating to me on the ground than a year ago, and they were great a year ago. It seems like now they can run it a lot of different ways. Sure, it is smash mouth and dominating, but the formations are so fun to watch and imaginative, and they don't leave anything to the imagination. You can tell formationally they're going to run the football.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that this year from uh, commentators on TV about whether or not they're telegraphing uh, their runs. <laughs> when he, you know, I think it was uh, Joel Klatt early on in the season yeah. said every time that they run uh, a tight end in motion, they're running the football and they're giving it away. And yet, even if they were giving it away, they're still running down people's throats. Yeah. Um, you know, last year they were the, the Joe Moore offensive line of the year. Uh, They brought back uh, three out of the five starters. Um, The guys that they slid in there are having great seasons, too. There's a really good chance that they'll be uh, the Joe Moore offensive line again. You're you're right. I mean, like, they do a lot of different things. They have two very different dynamic running backs. You know, Blake Corum was the the number two guy a year ago, um, but he was, you know, he didn't get a lot of opportunities. Hassan Haskins got the majority of them 250 carries a season ago. But now you've got Blake Corum and and Diamond Edwards who are both explosive big play play running running backs. Uh, And Donovan Edwards is also a great wide receiver out of the backfield. In fact, he had one of Michigan's touchdown receptions last weekend against Rutgers. I mean, it's, you know, they call themselves instead of thunder and lightning, which is an overused cliche term, but they call themselves lightning and lightning because it's just speed um, and that quickness and that acceleration all the time. I mean, you can't take a play off uh, with these guys because if you give them one little crack, if there's one defensive player out of position, um, these guys are taking it 40, 50, 60 yards every time they get an opportunity to do so.
4: Michael, I got to ask you about this game this weekend and a blunt question. Is anyone out there talking about the game at all Nebraska? Is all the focus now on even Illinois and, and the game against Ohio State and obviously the potential Big Ten championship game and playoff that could loom ahead?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, guys. I mean, most Michigan fans expect it to be a blip on the radar. Um, they, they, they really do. I mean, they're looking at the Ohio State game. Uh, once they got past Michigan State, uh, their rival two weeks ago, it was all about like, well, they'll cruise through Rutgers, they'll cruise through cruise through Nebraska. They they thought that Illinois was going to be a tough game, but now Illinois just lost to Michigan State. And everybody thinks that they've been exposed as a, uh, just a you know the best team of a bad division. Um, whether or not that's true, I guess we'll see, you know, they play Purdue this weekend, then they'll have Michigan next weekend, but no, I mean, I don't think anybody's giving Nebraska much of a chance in this game at all from the Michigan side. Now a week ago, nobody gave Rutgers a chance and Rutgers was in the game with Michigan for a half. Uh, and they just couldn't capitalize and Michigan's been a, Michigan's been a really, really good second half team. I think they're outscoring teams, um, a hundred to three in the third quarter, um, this season, uh, they've been, they've been Honestly, it's as good as I've ever seen a team coming out of the out of the tunnel in my 20 years covering Michigan. Um, so, but but back to your question, no, I mean they're looking at Nebraska, they're looking at the recent scores, they're looking at the season that the Cornhuskers have had overall, uh, the the changing coaches, the the you know now the quarterback position being an uncertainty, and they're just kind of saying you know not that they're going to necessarily win by the 26 or 28 points that they're favored by, but they're expecting this to be a game by the time we get to the middle of the third that no Michigan fan is really sweating.
4: What about Jim Harbaugh? Um, And you kind of like go back and just look at his story the last couple years. I mean, he took the reduced contract; it all worked out last year. But then he then it looked like he was going to the Vikings, and and that obviously had to be very awkward behind the scenes when it appeared that he was going to take the Vikings job. Then, oh, he didn't get offered the Vikings job, and he's back again. He's got Michigan fan Michigan where they wanted. I mean, this is this a long term marriage now, or do you still anticipate? hardball fun with all of this here in the offseason?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a question that, you know, kind of plagues Michigan every offseason. But I I think if he was going to have an opportunity to go to the NFL, it would have been last year. Uh, There were quite a few job openings, including the Raiders, that he had a lot of good connections to the Davis family. They passed on him. The Vikings ultimately passed on him. In The last couple of years, the San Diego Chargers, which was a desirable spot, passed on him. The Chicago Bears, which he has a huge relationship with as a former quarterback there, passed on him. You know, now the Indianapolis Colts is available, and he obviously has a history in Indianapolis. He knows Jim Ursay really well. So there's some speculation that it could be entertained again. But I just think the NFL has moved on from Jim Harbaugh. Whether or not Jim Harbaugh has truly ever moved on from the NFL, I don't think the NFL wants him. Um, so I don't think that that's really going to be a concern for for Michigan fans uh, this offseason. It, it's, it's really been interesting the last couple of years, i got to say, because there's a lot of calls, including for myself, after the 2020 season to get rid of him. Didn't think that he'd ever be able to break through against Ohio State. Uh, didn't think that he had the right mentality, the right culture. You know, things were falling apart. And I give him a ton of credit because last year he essentially decided, I'm not, I mean, he, he adopted this new spread offense in 2018, And the last three is like, I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to my Stanford days. And a little bit of what we compare to is Alabama under Nick Saban right now is much more of a spread team. But about 10 years ago with Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram and, you know, who's the back that came after uh, Derrick Henry? uh, I mean, they were a power power football team with with really beefy, strong offensive lines. And they just said, we're going to grind you into the ground. And that's what they did to be successful. Now, Nick Saban changed his focus with, you know, Tua and other quarterbacks, Mac Jones, to be much more pass happy. But Michigan's decided that we're going to go back to the 2010 Stanford, maybe a little bit of the old Wisconsin with more talented skill players than Wisconsin ever had, because their argument is that most defenses are no longer prepared to play that type of offense, and if you look at the results the last two seasons, including Ohio State, including Penn State, uh, which are obviously you know top five recruiting you know, teams, he has been proven correct that nobody is really quite equipped anymore to handle the ground and pound that Michigan can do.
3: A little bit of a zig when everybody else was zagging, and you're right. It's kind of fun to watch, by the way. I wish more teams would do it. I think you're seeing some of it. I know New England in the NFL is trying to do something similar there, but it's fascinating to watch. Michael, we appreciate your time, and uh, thanks so much for coming on with us this evening. We'll talk to you again down the line.
0: All right, and guys, really enjoy uh, Ann Arbor. Unfortunately, the great weather we've been having this fall is just about to depart on Saturday. It's supposed to be cold uh, on Saturday. It's been gorgeous here all week. Um, but, uh, I know from, from all the years that Sean has a terrific time when he comes into town and I know that he will again. Uh, and so Jeff, I have never met you in person, but I hope you have a great time in, in Ann Arbor this weekend too.
3: Thank you, Michael. Be well, sir. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. I hope to meet you someday.
0: Sounds good. Thanks guys.
3: Take care. Uh, The good news is, uh, Sean, I won't be in Ann Arbor this weekend. You will be. I will not be. I will be uh, instead covering Florida State versus Syracuse. Although I would rather be, I think, in Ann Arbor to be honest with you, having been there before. But uh, in terms of covering games, that'll be interesting.
4: Yeah, it should be, and um, it's a beautiful place to watch a college football game. I mean, it is. It will be darker there. You know, three thirty local kick, so it, it will almost be like a night game there this time of year. Uh, but, yeah, looking forward to it. Nebraska's only won there once since they've been in the Big Ten, and that was when Randy Gregory and Amir Abdullah were on the same team, and they went in there and basically got Brady Hoke fired that year. I mean, they went in there and won a game, and um seems like that was ages ago, almost 10 years ago, when you look back at it now.
5: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
3: Well, I see Rosie's in the green room and we got to bring him in because tonight is a Slightly abbreviated show, so if we only get 15 minutes of Rosie, that's not good. Let's get all 15 minutes <laughs> right now. There he is. I mean, we're not going to miss out on this board. I want to see how many coaches are on it and what kind of graphics we got tonight. Look at this thing. Here we go. The Coach and Derby. My friend, the stage is yours.
1: Well, what can I say other than uh, it's getting crowded now? Uh, and actually, some of our graphics are a little bit off because Lance Leipold and Luke Fickle and Gary Patterson are all up. Mark Stoops, Bill O'Brien, I say Mark Stoops and Bill O'Brien are kind of 50-50. Sanders is up and Mickey Joseph after the loss to Minnesota is down a little bit. Um, here's the deal with Lance Leipold. And a lot of people are beginning to recognize just the job he's doing down there because of the following. This guy is 6-3, and three, right? But look at all of the injuries. He's lost his starting quarterback. He's lost his best cover corner. He's had two of his best receivers, Luke Grimm and Quentin Skinner, out really since the Iowa State game. And his number one running back, Daniel Hyshaw, has been out since the Iowa State game. So Devin Neal comes in, backup running back, and is the Big 12 Conference Offensive Player of the Week. Now, we've talked a lot over the last you know week or two about uh, finding a way to prepare the next guy. And the criticism on the Nebraska staff is that the next guy wasn't prepared. Well, look at what Lance Leipold and his staff at Kansas has done. There's no question that they don't have the depth that you're going to have in year four or five or six. But look at how those guys have stepped up and done such a hell of a job. TCU is in the the college football playoff. If it were to start today, they'd be in there. And that's because of the players that Gary Patterson brought into this program. So you can't ignore what Gary Patterson has done there. Yeah, I think Sonny Dykes is enjoying the fruits of that. But there's no question that Gary Patterson's ball club is on the field at TCU today. Let's talk about Deion Sanders for a second. Deion Sanders has had two toes amputated, but he's 23 and 5. I mean, he's literally a, a walking health experiment. The guy has had multiple surgeries. He's got multiple blood clots. As he has said on numerous occasions, I could be tomorrow. I mean, you talk about living day to day. Deion Sanders is living day to day. But the man is the man is remarkable. He's not only coaching very, very well. His team is 8-0 and after having won the conference a year ago. They're, they're averaging 45,000 folks per game at home. Now, I don't know if you two have ever been to Jackson, Mississippi. I've been to Jackson, Mississippi. It's a third world country down there. They don't even have clean water in Jackson, Mississippi. He's getting not only people to come and play for him, who could play for a lot of, I think, Power Five conference schools, but the people of Jackson, Mississippi are really getting behind this program. And remember, Ole Miss is in the top 10. So you figure all of Mississippi would be about hotty toddy? No, a lot of Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi is jacked up for Jackson State. So you love the guy. I just think he's a health-ticking time bomb. Let's talk about Bill O'Brien. This team, and he's getting criticized because they've lost two games, but the offense wasn't the problem in these two games. Number two in the SEC in scoring, sixth the nationally. There has only been one offensive coordinator in the, in the Nick Saban era at Alabama that has lasted more than three years, and that was Jim McIlwain, and he went on to be head coach at Florida. But this is a, a system here. You're there two to three years, and then Saban wants you gone. He wants you to go off and be a head coach somewhere else so that he can replace you with the next guy. And Bill O'Brien's getting a lot of criticism, but uh, the quarterback Bryce Young loves him, went off on him in the off season and said, this guy listens to me. It re- reminds me of the relationship that Andy Reid has with Patrick Mahomes. It's very much synergized. Bryce Young loves Bill O'Brien. And sure, he's had a lot of drop passes. He's got a lot of young receivers, but look at all of the guys who've been first round draft choices off of the Alabama offense over the last couple of years. And in the offseason, he was courted by Jacksonville, turned it down. In the offseason, he was courted by Bill Belichick to take over as offensive coordinator for the Patriots after Josh McDaniels got the job with the Raiders, turned it down. He made a commitment of two years to Nick Saban, and this is the end of year two, so let's talk about uh, about Bill O'Brien. I think it's an outstanding story, and he's a terrific candidate. Bob Stoops' brother, Mark Stoops, is love and life in Lexington, Kentucky. And why not? If they beat Vanderbilt this week, they'll be 500 in the SEC. This is the fifth time in the last seven years that Kentucky has been 500 in the SEC, which is a big deal, fellas. But get this, between 1978 and 2015, they only had six times where they were at 500 in the SEC. So this is an entirely new era. That's why they're paying him so much. But his kids live in Denver, and he's divorced. His kids live in Denver, so maybe Mark Stoops is a candidate. I don't know. I still think it's very difficult to get Mark Stoops or anybody as a head coach out of the SEC voluntarily. But Mark Stoops is a guy that certainly qualifies. And I, if I were an Iowa fan, and I don't care what Iowa did against Purdue, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm finding a way to get to – to get to the Iowa administrative brass and say, guys, he played here. We got a 71-year-old coach. Pass the hat in Coralville. Get the $42 million for Kirk Ferentz and say thanks for the memories. But we have a shot to get Mark Stoops back into the Big Ten. He played there. Why is Iowa not talking seriously about Mark Stoops? And then there's Luke Fickle. I think this is the home run hire. He's doing $5 million a year. His buyout is only $3 million, which is next to nothing anymore. The guy has won 19. The guy just had a 19 game conference winning streak snapped. He's won 30 consecutive games at home, and he was in the playoff last year. So you start looking at the candidates, and this is where it's shaping up. I don't know if any of these people are going to be the next head coach of Nebraska football, but that's Rosie's coaching derby. And this week, the trend is somebody's friend.
3: It's always fun to look at this group. Go ahead, Sean. You were about to ask something.
5: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com.
4: Well, I wanted to ask you about Nebraska, Rosie, and and I know we only got three games left this year, but what is your take on Mark Whipple and kind of the disaster this offense has become? I mean, we've seen a lot of football over the years and we haven't seen stretches of just droughts like we've watched the last two weeks under Mark Whipple in the offense.
1: Well, I think it was going to be very difficult, Sean, and we've talked about this off and on on KFEB and we've talked about it, you know, in other forums. Uh, The way these marriages were forged over a shotgun in the offseason. I think it was going to be very difficult for this offense to look very good this year consistently against quality defensive teams. And Minnesota is a good defensive team. It's not a great defensive team. Illinois is a very good defensive team, but it's not a great defensive team. Michigan is a great defensive team. So when you start talking about the level of competition, and we haven't even seen Iowa or Wisconsin yet, and Iowa might have the best team defense in the Big Ten Conference. Their record may not reflect it, but I think it may be so. It was going to be hard for Mark Whipple and all of these other guys who have never coached together, who've never, ever done anything together. They barely knew each other. I mean, Scott Frost didn't know Mark Whipple. Nobody knew Donovan Raiola. Uh, Apple White, Mickey. Mickey was known by Nebraska people, but he certainly wasn't very familiar with all of these other dudes. This just makes it very, very hard for cohesion to actually show itself on the field. It's year two, year three, before an entirely new staff begins to gel together. And I'm not sure how many of them had a lot of respect for the head coach to begin with. After being with them for a couple of months or you know a couple of games, they're going, I just don't think this guy knows what he's doing. And that adds to it. But to not have your backup quarterback ready for the Illinois game is hard to digest. And then when you look at what happened in the game against Minnesota, where they simply were were outcoached in the second half. They didn't have an answer for the backup quarterback of Minnesota, who was no stranger. He started the Penn State game. And then you have all of those empty possessions, one right after another, and nothing changed. Uh, Would Logan Smothers have made a huge difference? Well, it would have been nice to know because the team was better when he was out there. Uh, And it seems to me that the best chance they have this week is to say, hey, look, we got Logan Smothers who runs the ball. That's a dimension the Big Ten doesn't typically see out of a quarterback. Let's put together a package of option plays. Let's put together a package of two-back sets. Let's put together something that says, you know what, we're going to run the ball, find a way to keep J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and Ronnie Bell on the sidelines for a while.
3: Rosie, I asked everybody this tonight. I'll ask you. You're always blunt. You're a realist. You're pragmatic. Is Mickey Joseph out of the running for the job?
1: Well, I think it's very difficult. to make him a serious candidate right now unless they get to a bowl game uh, and if they don't get to a bowl game that sets up the calendar pretty effectively that right after the Iowa game you make the announcement of your new head coach uh, I've maintained from the very beginning that Mickey is a terrific football coach uh, but that doesn't make you a terrific head coach uh, and if you look at how the team has been organized during games the level of communication between coaches I mean you could literally ask the question, During the game against Minnesota, who's in charge here? Is the offensive coordinator in charge or is the head coach in charge? At Alabama, Nick Saban is on the headset, which means he can veto anything they're doing. Now, he puts a lot of power in the hands of his coordinators. But as Nick has said consistently, look, if it's a bad play, I could have gotten us out of it. If our offense isn't doing enough of this or is doing too much of that, I can veto it. I typically doesn't. Because the game plan was built during the week, but he's the head coach. And I wonder, as Mickey is into his 50s now, what makes me wonder is he's never been a coordinator. He's never been a head coach, other than his brief stint there in the NAIA level. And I think sometimes you develop your ability as a coach based on your skill set and you stay there. George Darlington, for example, was a very poor defensive coordinator, but he was an excellent recruiter. John Melton wasn't the world's greatest. A position coach at nebraska but he was a great recruiter uh, charlie mcbride turned out to be an excellent defensive coordinator monty kiffin was a great defensive coordinator kevin Steele was a terrific position coach but it turns out he wasn't much of a head coach and he wasn't a great coordinator either milt Teniper, i think could have been an offensive coordinator but i don't think he pushed tom to get those responsibilities that said he was upstairs and he made a lot of recommendations to coach osborne down through the years that turned out to be plays on the field so I think in this day and age, the year 2022, when in 2025, the Nebraska football operation will be a $120 million corporation, I don't think you can have a guy who's not a CEO running it. I think Trev is looking for a guy who has done it. He's organized a department. He's organized a staff. He's put a strategic plan in place, followed it carefully. He's hired and fired assistant coaches. He's put together a culture and cultivated that culture. Uh, He has uh, headed up recruiting and has headed up a player development process that yields outstanding players from unheralded recruits. That's what this athletic director is looking for. And he has to decide, uh, as we all observe, whether Mickey has the ability to check all of those boxes. And I don't know that he does. That doesn't make him a bad coach. Might make him a great head coach someday but I don't think Nebraska can run the risk of hiring a guy who's never ever done that especially based on the results that we've seen on the field and on the sidelines so far.
4: Hey Jim we got asked in the comments about Matt Rule he wasn't on the Rosie Derby where is Matt Rule at um, just in the big picture of things right now and your and your thoughts?
1: I think he's swirling around the orbit Sean uh, this guy has a tremendous record. Uh, This guy, man, what he did at Temple, outstanding. What he did, picking up all the pieces at Baylor, outstanding. Uh, But I don't know where he is. Uh, My research says maybe he wants to take a little bit of time out, take a year off. He went through the ringer with Carolina. Sometimes they like to do that. Bill O'Brien was out of coaching for a year before Nick Saban hired him. Uh, He may be looking at the landscape, enjoying his massive buyout from Carolina, thinking, maybe I should take a year and see what's out there, see what's available. He is a big 10 guy grew up at Penn state, uh, walked on and played linebacker at Penn state. So that's a plus. I just don't know a lot about him. Um, but his record is outstanding.
3: Well, as always, Rosie, sorry, it was short tonight, but, uh, Entertaining and insightful, which is what we've grown to expect out of you, and I'll expect nothing different next week. Hey, let's let's go continue to expand. I want 50 coaches on there. I want you to run back 50 <laughs> coaches as candidates. Well, let's week.
1: see. I You know, I, I could probably throw out uh, Fred Petito, put him in there. Um, you know, certainly uh, with what's been happening in high school football around Nebraska. I mean, look at what Coach Jock has done at uh, Preyton and Prep, pulling off the big upset. So why not include him? I mean, look, um, Chuck mazurski is probably one out of retirement. Why not Chuck? And then, of course, we have lots of other alumni that uh, can make make it onto this list. But I got to tell you, fellas, I really appreciate the chance to come on. And I really actually am thankful for the abbreviated time, because with the election results coming in, I was deadly afraid that just maybe I'd be distracted by the early returns from the Virginia Second congressional district race, which I know is really (laughs) top of the mind for Husker fans everywhere.
3: Rosie, be good, man. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, and for uh, Mister <laughs> for Jim Rose and Sean Callahan, I'm Jeff. Thanks so much to Trey as well, and to all of you for watching. Little slightly shortened version tonight. Sean's got to go do TV. I've got to do another interview as well. But we'll be back with you at our, I think our normal time next week, Sean. Yeah,
4: and then Thanksgiving week, we, we got to figure that out. I'm on the yeah. high school football broadcast that week on both Monday, Tuesday. So maybe a show without me and simple fills my chair, but we'll figure out our Thanksgiving week, but there's going to be a lot of interest in these final weeks here. So we'll, we'll, we'll be back Monday, normal time next week.
3: Busy, fun time. Make sure you get subscribed to Husker online. Don't know how you couldn't. It's only $10 and you're going to want to follow this as it gets juicier and juicier by the day. Thanks for joining us tonight, everybody. Be well, enjoy the football, stay safe, and we'll talk to you again next week. Take care.